the KB Chronicles, the series of outlandish events. <laughs> Stay curious. Stay, <laughs> Stay curious. <laughs> okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the KB Chronicles, the series of outlandish events. I am your one of your wonderful hosts, Kesey. Um, unfortunately, it is just me today. Bailey is enjoying her time at the beach right now, and she's super, super lucky. So you are stuck with me. So um, basically, this is kind of going to be not what we usually do as we cover conspiracy theories and um, believe it or not, historical events that actually happened. Um, I am going to be doing a little mini episode. Well, I shouldn't say mini. It's going to be a long episode, I think. Um, on a serial killer of the name of John Wayne Gacy. Um, as we all know, this man is an awful, 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 awful man. Very awful. Um, I kind of wanted to cover serial killers and Bailey is kind of like not into that, which is okay. Understandable. Like I completely get it. I respect her. There's nothing wrong with it. I want to cover it. So I thought since Bailey is soaking up the sun at the beach, I can do a little mini episode since we haven't put one out and we're kind of on hiatus right now. We both are really, really super busy um, in life. We're both getting ready to go back to school. So we're doing a lot of last minute, um, I guess like trips and stuff to do before we head back. So things are kind of going to slow down. We were on a little high right there, but it kind of slowed down since we are um, gearing back to go back to school. So I decided that I will do a little mini episode to entertain everybody who listens to us. So like I said, we are going to be doing an episode on John Wayne Gacy today. And as we all know, he is a messed up man. And before I actually get into doing this episode, I just want to put out a trigger warning out there because what he has done is not good stuff. And a lot of this stuff happens, not killing, but it happens in real life, unfortunately. So I do want to put a trigger warning out there for anyone who is listening that mentions of abuse, alcoholism, uh, occasionally rape, ugh. I don't even, it just makes me cringe and shiver talking about this stuff as much as I hate it. There is some stuff that I have in my notes that I do want to cover, but I won't go into full detail just because it is very triggering to a lot of people and I respect a lot of victims out there to not do that. So there are some stuff that I won't go into full detail just because it is very triggering to victims and I respect everyone out there not to do that. So without further ado... This is going to be, again, the episode on John Wayne Gacy, or known as the Killer Clown. So, to go into it, I want to talk about his early life, which is kind of a lot, but not a lot, before I actually get into the murders and what he did to lead up to who he is and what he became. So, um, John Wayne Gacy was born on March 17th, 1942, in Chicago, Illinois. Um, His father was an alcoholic who would be... um, obviously the children with a razor strap if they were perceived to have misbehave. His father would also physically assault um, John Wayne Gacy's mother as well. And I found this information on biography.com and a lot of this other information is again by Trusty Wiki, which I shouldn't be getting information from, but they had a lot of stuff surprisingly that went into detail. So whether or not it's true or not, 
who knows? <laughs> um, I'm just covering what should be facts, question mark. Um, so his father was also an auto repair mechan- mechanist and a World War One veteran, and his mother was a homemaker. Um, in Gacy's words, he was never good enough in his father's eyes. His father would regularly belittle him, uh, calling him dumb and stupid, and comparing him to John's sisters. But in the end, Gacy was al- always denied that he never hated his father, which is really surprising to me because if my father belittled me and called me dumb and stupid, I would hate him because that is belittling someone and that is very toxic. And obviously, if we look into the serial killer soup, um, abuse and neglect and all this stuff in early childhood sometimes makes people into serial killers that's just one of the basic things about serial killers is that their childhood is very 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 rough and uh problematic so for John Bean Gacy um his father beating on him and his father being an alcoholic saying um words that are not very nice to him uh definitely warped uh John Wayne Gacy's mind in early in his early life uh, continuing on, in 1949, Gacy's father was informed that his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a um, young girl. So, trigger warning again. Um, Gacy's father whipped him with a razor strap as punishment. The same year, Gacy was molested by a family friend, a contractor who would take Gacy for rides in his truck, and then did the stuff to him. Um, Gacy never told his father about these incidents, afraid that his father would blame him, which would seem like something his father would do. Of course, I don't know his father personally, but, um, again, the serial killer soup. So that was just kind of like a basic little rundown of things I found important in John Wayne Gacy's life. Um, John Gacy also had a lot of injuries in his early childhood. I know he had some heart problems and I heard reportedly I don't know if this is true or not he had a head injury I'm not completely sure I just I heard that from I think another podcast that I listened to so going on to his work life Gacy moved into Springfield in 1964 after graduating from Northwestern Business College and moved on to oh on to become a salesman In March of that year, he became engaged to Marilyn Myers, his first wife, a co-worker in the department he managed. So, Gacy had two wives. Of course, he divorced both, but we'll get later into the second one. But the first one is Marilyn uh, Myers, who was a co-worker with Gacy at the department he managed. Um, During this time... He joined the JCs and became a tireless worker in the organization, being named key man for the organization in April of 1964. So, I wasn't exactly sure what a JC was, so I looked into it. So, the JCs um, provided opportunities for young men to develop personal and leadership skills through service to others. So, areas that they emphasize are uh, business development, management skills, individual training community service and international connections so it's kind of like an organization that helps build leadership skills and just skills in general to become a um uh just a businessman I guess (laughs) oh this is so weird to do this episode by myself Bailey I miss you I know you probably will listen to this but I miss you (laughs) um so then that same year uh Gacy had a second um homosexual experience according to Gacy he consented to this incident 
after one of his colleagues in the Springfield JCs piled him with drinks and invited him to spend the evening upon his sofa. The colleagues then performed, you know, they had some fun while they were both drunk, if you know what I mean by fun. Um, so this kind of leads into the assault of Donald Voorhees, which I guess, um, this was known as Gacy's first, um, sexual assault. So in 1967 of August, he committed his first known sexual assault upon a teenage boy. Um, the victim was 15 year old Donald Voorhees, the son of a fellow JC. Um, Gacy lured Voorhees to his house with the promise of showing him some inappropriate films. <laughs> um, Gacy piled Voorhees with alcohol and persuaded Voorhees to perform the fun stuff. Well, I shouldn't say the fun stuff. Um, the bad stuff that you do with one another, you know, sex upon him. Um, over the following months, several other youths were sexually abused in a similar man manner, including one whom Gacy encouraged to have sex with with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing sex upon him. Um, Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing performing sex with him, blah, 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 blah. Oh, he was commissioned with conducting homosexual experiments in the interest of quote-unquote scientific research for which was paid up to 50 bucks. So, um, messed up stuff. Um, this is just so uncomfortable to read and I know a lot of people are interested in learning about serial killers but doing the research on these people they are messed up and John Lee Gacy is one of those messed up people um in March of 1968 Voorhees reported to his father that Gacy had sexually assaulted him um Voorhees senior immediately informed the police and Gacy was arrested and subsequently charged with oral sodomy in relation to Voorhees and the attempted assault of 16-year-old Edward Lynch. Uh, Gacy denied the charges and demanded to take a polygraph test. Um, this request was granted, although the results indicated Gacy was nervous when he denied any wrongdoing in relation to either Voorhees or Lynch. So, I guess you could say that um, John Wayne Gacy kind of got out of that. It's kind of like with Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, as much as the police were so close to catching Jeffrey Dahmer each single time they just gave little to no heck to looking into it even more so um, I'm not blaming the police I'm just saying that of course back then they weren't looking into things which they should and these guys could have probably been stopped early before they especially Gacy started killing people um Continuing on, on November 7th, 1968, Gacy pled guilty to one court of sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not guilty to the charges related to other youths. Gacy claimed Voorhees had offered his sexual services to him and that he had acted out on curiosity. His story was not believed. Gacy was convicted of sodomy on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years of imprisonment to be served at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. I know I just messed that up the that same day um his wife first wife petitioned to divorce requesting award of the couple's home and property sole custody of their two children in a limit a limony i don't freaking know the court ruled in her favor and the divorce was finalized on september 18th 1969 and then unfortunately well i shouldn't say unfortunately thankfully gacy never saw his first wife or children again so 
that was kind of around his first committed sexual assault on Donald Voorhees. And now we're going to go into his return to Chicago, which was um, after he got out of jail the first time. So Gacy was granted parole with 12 months probation on June 18th, 1970, after serving 18 months of 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Two of the conditions of his probation were for Gacy to relocate to Chicago to live with his mother and to observe a 10 p.m. curfew with the Iowa Board of Parole receiving regular updates as to his progress, which again, my source is, the majority of my sources right now is Wiki. So on February 12, 1971, Gacy was charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that Gacy had lured him into his car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal and driven him to his home where he had attempted to force the boy into sex. This complaint was dismissed when the boy failed to appear in court. The Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of this incident, which violated the conditions of his parole and and eight months later, in October 1971, Gacy's parole ended. The following month, records of Gacy's previous criminal conventions in Iowa were sealed. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I just, it's so crazy that he got away with this. I will, it's just, ugh, it makes me speechless because this man, he was already convicted 10-year sentence so he should have been in jail to begin with but he got out on parole with 12 months of probation i i think i think it was from good behavior which yeah um so now since his return to chicago we're gonna go into the midlife of gacy which is also covering a lot more about his work um so again, I mentioned about Casey's second wife. I believe that they had children together too, and he was a friend, or his second wife was a friend of one of Casey's sisters. So, and I think they briefly dated in high school. I might have to look that up again, but I think that's what I read. But in 1971, Casey established a part-time construction business, PDM con- Contractors. Much of the labor workforce of PDM consisted of high school students and young men, which really started up um, Gacy's um, spree of murdering and helping. So I think with one of the podcasts that I listened to, a lot of these young men that he um, had work for him um, helped him uh, dig up graves like since a lot of his, um, victims were buried underneath in a, um, like a, like a little space down in the basement. I think if I remember correctly, a lot of those, um, young men and students helped dig graves for Gacy, I think without even knowing. Um, so continuing on, Gacy would often proposition his workers for sex or insist on sexual favors in return for acts such as loaning of his vehicles, financial assistance, or promotions. He also claimed to own guns, telling employee Arthur Peterson, Arthur Peterson, quote-unquote, do you know how easy it would be to get one of my guns and kill you, and how easy it would be to get rid of the body, end quote. Um, first off, if he told me that, I would be leaving. I would be getting the F out of there and I would be leaving far from that and quitting that job because that is just messed up to tell somebody. Because, and also, like, of course, like, if you go to the police, then none of them would believe you. 
But also, like, Gacy already had time in jail, so, like, it's understandable. So, like, again, why was this man not stopped again? <laughs> um, continuing on in 1973, Gacy and a teenage employee of PDM traveled to Florida to view property Gacy had purchased. Um, on the first night in Florida, Gacy, um, again, trigger warning, Gacy raped the employee in their hotel room. After returning to Chicago, he drove to Gacy's house and beat him in his yard. Gacy told his wife he had been attacked for refusing to pay the employee for poor quality work. (sighs) Man, oh man, does this just get worse and worse and worse as we continue on. In May 1975, Gacy hired 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci. I apologize if I butchered that. I am not very good with pronouncing words that I do not know how to pronounce. In July of 1975, Gacy went into, An- I'm just going to say Anthony's, home. The two drank a bottle of wine then watched a heterosexual stag film before Gacy wrestled Anthony to the floor and cuffed his hands behind his back. Which, um, Gacy, that was one of his um, infamous tricks with um, the cuffs. He would do, like, tricks saying, oh, watch me put these cuffs on my wrist and then take them out. Look how easy it is. Blah, 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 blah. Um... Continuing on, one cuff was loose on Anthony. Um, he freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When Gacy returned, Anthony, a high school wrestler, pounced on him, upon him. He wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtained possession of the handcuff key, and cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. Gacy at first threatened Anthony, then cl- uh, calmed down and promised to leave if Anthony would remove the handcuffs. Anthony agreed, and Gacy left. Anthony later recalled that Gacy told him, quote, unquote, not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you got them on me, unquote. (laughs) I just, like, this is unbelievable. This man is unbelievable. On July 26, 1976, Gacy picked up an 18-year-old David Cram as the teenager hitchhiked on Elston Avenue. Gacy offered Cram a job with PDM, and Cram began working for his firm, the same evening. On August 21st, Cram moved into his house. The following day, Gacy dressed as Pogo the Clown. First off, we're going to get into that here after a few more um, stuff I have to say, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, coned Cram into doning handcuffs again while Cram was drunk. Gacy swung Cram around while holding the chain, linking the cuffs, and said he intended to trigger warning again, rape him. Cram kicked Gacy in the face and freed himself from the handcuffs. One month later, Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door with the attention of, again, raping him, saying, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you give me what I want. Cram resisted, straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom, stating, quote-unquote, you ain't no fun. Shortly thereafter, Cram moved out and left PDM, although he did periodically work for Gacy over the following two years, which, again, I would be getting out, getting the F out of there if that happened to me. Um, lastly, shortly after Cran moved out of Gacy's house, another employee, 18-year-old Michael Rossi, moved in. Rossi had worked for PDM contractors since May of 1976. He lived with Gacy until April of 1977. So, now we're just, I have, like, a little short passage about, um, the wonderful, wonderful, um, nightmare of Pogo the Clown. So, through his membership in a local moose club... Gacy became aware of a, a Jolly Joker clown club, which <laughs> I, I literally, why? Clowns should be banned. Does anybody else remember that thing? 
I think it was a couple years ago where people would dress as clowns and like roam the streets at night. That is so messed up. Why would you do that? Like, I, that, uh, raises my fear in clowns. It just, ugh. Um, so members regularly performed it at fundraising events and parades in addition to voluntarily entertaining hospitalized children. In the late 1975, Casey joined the Jolly Jockers, jo- Jokers, oh my god, Jolly Jokers, and created his own performance characters, Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. He performed as Pogo at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, and children's hospitals. Patches, Patches was used at the grand opening of stores at his PDM clients, and then Gacy designed his own clowning costumes and taught himself how to apply clown makeup. For these reasons, Gacy is known as the killer clown. Um, so if you have seen pictures of what Pogo the Clown looks like, I am so sorry that you had to see those pictures. It is so frightening to see John Wayne Gacy dressed up as a clown. And just imagining, I'm not even going to go into it because it's just so creepy. Um, this is a shame, shameless um, plug for our Instagram. I will try to get into log, get the login info from Bailey because she runs our Instagram page and I run our Twitter page. So, um, if you go to the K, the underscore KB underscore Chronicles, um, give us a follow and then like our recent post, which was about our recent episode, the Beatles conspiracy theory. Uh, check that one out as well. I will post a picture of John Wayne Gacy. Um, I think his mugshots, and then I will post one of what Pogo the Clown looks like because it is very scary. Um, so I'm going to go in quick about, um, the divorce of his second wife. So by 1975, Gacy had told his wife that he was bisexual. After the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, he informed her this would be the last time they would ever have sex, which I think was also a problem with his first wife. Um, just like his second wife, I believe that she also found some naughty pictures of men and magazines, if you know what I mean, um, and kind of told him off and he was like oh no those aren't mine that kind of deal um so he began spending most evenings away from home only to return in the early hours of the morning with the excuse he had been working late his wife observed Gacy bringing teenage boys into his garage and then also found the naughty pictures of men and men's wallets and identification cards inside the house when she once confronted Gacy about the about whose items those belonged to he angrily informed her the property was none of her business so, um, that was kind of the divorce of the second wife and going into it and their problems. So now what we've all been waiting for, we are going to get a little bit into the murders. There was a whole bunch and I just kind of pinpointed some important stuff to go over. So, um, as we all know, Gacy is known to have murdered at least 33 young men and boys, 26 of whom were buried in the crawl space that he, again, buried most of his victims in. He typically abducted his victims from Chicago's Greyhound bus station, Bughouse Square, or simply off the streets. Some victims were grabbed by force or coned, or sorry, or conned in believing Gacy, who often carried a sheriff's badge and had spotlights on his black Oldsmobile was a policeman. Other victims were lured to his house with either the promise of a job with PDM or an offer to drink drugs or money for sex, which was 
very, 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 um, he used that a lot, um, against a lot of those kids, um, to get them or lure them. Um, the victims were usually lured alone to his house, although on approximately three occasions, Gacy had what he called doubles, two murder victims killed the same evening. But, um, inside Gacy's home, his usual modest operandi was to ply a young with drink drugs or generally gain his trust. Gacy would then produce a pair of handcuffs to show a magic trick, which I, um, brought up earlier, um, sometimes as a part of clowning routine. He typically cuffed his own hands, um... Yeah, I lost my track. Typically cuffed his own hands behind his back, then surreptitiously <laughs> released himself with the key, which he hid between his fingers. He then offered to show his intended victim how to release himself from the handcuffs. With his victims manacled and unable to free himself, Casey then made a statement to the effect of, quote, unquote, the trick is you have to have the key, unquote. Casey referred to this act of restraining his victims as the handcuff trick. And then basically, and then, you know, basically, basically, oh my goodness, I am combining words now. Gacy typically murdered his victims by placing a rope turned neck around their neck before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle. So not a fun way to go out. Basically, it was just messed up what he did. It's not inexcusable for what he has done. Those poor men went, their last moments were being tortured and just I I would be so scared in those moments basically so um, we're gonna go into his first known murder which is Timothy McCoy uh Gacy first known Gacy's first known murder occurred on January 2nd 1972 according to Gacy's later account following a family party he decided to drive to the civic center in the in the loop to view a display of ice sculptures before luring a 16-year-old named Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. McCoy was traveling from Michigan to Omaha. Gacy took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago and then drove him to his home with the promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus. Prior to McCoy's identification, he was known simply as the Greyhound bus boy. Uh, Gacy claimed he woke up early in the morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom doorway with a kitchen knife in his hand. He then jumped from his bed and McCoy raised both his arms in a gesture of surrender, tilting the knife upwards and accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm. He then twisted the knife from McCoy's wrist, banged his head against the bedroom wall, kicked him against the wardrobe, and walked towards him. McCoy then kicked Gacy in the stomach, doubling him over. Gacy then grabbed McCoy, wrestled him to the floor, then stabbed him repeatedly in the chest as he straddled him. So my thing is, um, with Timothy McCoy, and I believe it was, um, who was it? There was a kid that wrestled him. I think, uh, Anthony and Antonucci, um, John Lee Gacy is not a small person. He is a beefy man. So, um, to wrestle him and to, like, have some sort of advantage on him is crazy to think. Because those are teenage boys aging from, like, 14 to, like, 18. Um, and then you have John Wayne Gacy, who is a very large, big man, going up against that. Um, I feel like those poor boys would not even have an advantage but I mean they 
did that stuff to him. They stabbed him and they beat him and they kicked him on all this kind of stuff. So that's like really surprising to me that they were able to do that to Gacy since he is such a big, large man. Um, so just a little bit about his, uh, Gacy's second murder. Uh, Gacy later stated that the second time he committed murder was around January of 1974. So I believe the first murder was 1972. So that's two years later. The victim was still unidentified, unfortunately. Um, Gacy strangled this victim before stowing his body in his closet prior to burial. So that's all the information that I have on the second murder. So then going into the murder of Robert Peist, I think his last name is, um, this is what really got Gacy in trouble was Robert Peist because um, I think he was the victim that kind of unlocked and got the um, police's attention that Gacy is um, a predator and that they need to look into this man again because there's some weird shit happening. So on the afternoon of nine, uh, December 11th, 1978, so this is four years after the second murder. I, there was some in-between murders as well, but um, murder, the murder of Robert Pice is like the one that kind of brought the attention to uh, John Wayne Gacy and to arrest him and stuff like that. So, um, on the afternoon of December 11th, 1978, Gacy visited the Neeson Pharmacy in De Plains to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store owner, Phil Torf. While Gacy was within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peist, he mentioned that his firm often hired teenage boys at a starting wage of $5 per hour, which, to me, I mean, now, I mean, that was in the 70s, late 70s. $5 isn't even worth it. (laughs) Um, So, continuing on, it was almost a double pay Peist earned at the pharmacy. So, I guess a double pay from what he was earning at the pharmacy? I guess if I was in that position, I would take it too. But, uh, you know, knowing the circumstances of what Casey did, absolutely not. Um, When Peist failed to return that following day, uh, his family filed a missing persons report on their son with the De, De Plains police. Torf named Gacy as the contractor Pice uh, had most likely left the store to talk with about a job. So that's just kind of what got the police like, hey, maybe we need to check this guy out. So there was um, two separate, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There were two separate uh, search warrants. Um, The first one was suspecting that Gacy may be holding Peist against his will at his home. Um, They, the police, obtained a search warrant um, for Gacy's house on December 13th. Um, During the search of Gacy's property, um, it revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges and a 6mm Brevetta starter pistol inside an office drawer and a syringe uh, and hypodermic needle inside a cabinet in Gacy's bathroom. Um, The investigators also found handcuffs, books on homosexuality and pedestrian, seven um, inappropriate films, capsules of amyl nitrate, and an 18-inch... thingy that I will not mention. Use it for your imagination, if you will. Um, there were, yeah, so that basically, they found a lot of suspicious things during the first search warrant. Um, so then the second search warrant, 
was, well, there was a civil suit, I guess I should say. Um, December 18th, Gacy was beginning to show visible signs of strain as a result of constant surveillance. He was unshaven, looked tired, appeared anxious, and was drinking heavily. Um, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 civil suit against the DePlanes police, demanding that they seize their surveillance. Um, so again, they were looking into this more and more. And then that same evening, Michael Rossi was interviewed a second time, which was also one of, um, was a victim towards, um, of sexual assault from Gacy, um, earlier in his years. Um, he was interviewed a second time on this occasion. Rossi was more cooperative, informing detectives that in the summer of 1977, Gacy had had him spread 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of the house. So again, when I um, mentioned earlier, he had a lot of these men and boys from his um, business, his contract business, to dig holes and graves for them without even knowing. So um, on December 19th, investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant of Gacy's house. The same day, Gacy's lawyers, lawyers uh, filed a civil suit against the Plains police. Um, so this was leading into the second search warrant, which is insane that they had to do a second search warrant. Like they, I, I mean, of course, not enough evidence was found during the, search, the first one, but um, they kept finding the same information that these boys were digging graves and spreading lime in this crawl space. So, um, basically going back into the murder of Robert Pice, um, it just kind of unlocked like this whole thing to look for this kid. And the last person he was seen with was John Wayne Gacy. So we are going to go into the confession um, on the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a scheduled meeting ostensibly to discuss the progress of a civil suit, which I just mentioned. Um, over the following hours, Gacy gave a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began to, by informing, uh, I think it was his lawyer and Stevens that had been the judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people, and that he now wanted to be the same for himself. He stated most of his victims were buried in his crawl space and others in the Plains River. Um, as Gacy drove to various locations that morning, police outlined their formal draft of their second search warrant. The purpose of the warrant was specifically to search for the body of Robert Peist in the crawl space. Upon hearing from the surveillance detectives that in light of his er erratic behavior, Gacy may be about to commit suicide. Police then decided to arrest him upon a charge of possession and distribution of marijuana. But, you know, he did have possession of that. I mean, a lot of the reason why he, like, would lure these men was to do drugs and to drink and all this other stuff. So, um, so after the police informed Gacy of their intentions to search his crawl space for the body of Robert Pice, Gacy denied, um, the teenager was buried there, but confessed to have killing a young man in self-defense and buried his body under his garage. Armed with the signed search warrant, police and evidence technicians drove to Gacy's home. Upon their arrival, officers found that Gacy had unplugged his sump pump and that the crawl space was flooded with water. To clear that water, they simply replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. After had done so, the evidence technician Daniel Genty entered the 28 by 38 foot um, crawl space 
crawled to the southwest area and began digging. Within minutes, he had uncovered putrefied flesh and a human arm bone. Genty immediately shouted to the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder. Genty added the remark, quote, I think this place is full of kids, unquote. The victim was too decomposed to be placed, and as the body was later unearthed, a crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside his body. Later, excavations of the feet of the second victim revealed a further skull beneath the body because of this technician's return to the trench where the first body was unearthed. Discovering the rib cage of of a fourth victim within the crawling space confirmed the scale of the murders. Um, so... They just found a whole bunch of bodies to charge John Wayne Gacy. And unfortunately, it took 33 victims later to arrest him. So we're going to go into the arrest. After being informed that the police had found human remains in his crawl space and that he would now face murder charges, Gacy told officers he wanted to clear the air, adding that he had known his arrest was inevitable. What is he? Thanos? Like, come on. His arrest was inevitable since the previous evening which he had spent on the couch in his lawyer's office. When specifically questioned about Peist, Gacy confessed to strangling him at his house on the evening of December 11th after luring him there. He also admitted to having slept alongside Peist's body that evening before disposing of the corpse in the Des Plaines River in early hours of December 13th. Um, so, he was... Going into the trial just a little bit, he was convicted of 33 murders, and at the time, that was the largest number of murders charged to one individual in U.S. history. Um, In the sentencing phase of the trial, the jury deliberated for more than two hours before sentencing Gacy to death for each murder committed after Illinois statute on capital punishment came into effect on June 1977. Um, His execution date was initially set for June 2nd, 1980. Um, So, going into the execution, on the morning of May 9th, 1994, Gacy was transferred from the Menard Correctional Center to Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family, and one of he his last meal was one of the most famous last meals. He ordered a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken, a dozen of fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries and a diet coke, which out of all of that, the fresh strawberries sounds the greatest. <laughs> uh that evening he observed prayer with a catholic priest priest before being escorted to the stateville execution chamber to receive a lethal injection. So that is the ending story of John Wayne Gacy. Um, before, like, of course, I'm, like, I'm, I I want to get into something that I, I don't think a lot of people do. Um, a lot of people are really interested in serial killers. I am one of those people. But one thing a lot of people don't do is kind of commemorate the victims. So, as we know, um, he has 33, he murdered 33 kids, unfortunately. Um, so just to go through the names, Timothy Jack McCoy, John Bukshevik, Again, I am sorry if I butchered these names. Daryl Julius Sampson, Randall Wayne Ruffett, um, Samuel G. Dodd, Michael Bonin, William Huey Carroll, James Bryan, Rick Lewis Johnston, Kenneth Ray Parker, Michael Marino, William George Bundy, 
Gregory John Godsvick, John Allen Sizik, <laughs> uh, John Stephen Prestige, Matthew Bowman, Robert Edward Gilroy Jr., John Anthony Mowry, Russell Lloyd Nelson, Robert Winch, Tommy Joe Bowling, uh, David Paul Tol- Tulspa, William Wade Kindred, Timothy D. O. Ruick, Frank William Landon, and James Mazara, and Robert Jerome Peist. And then there were six victims that remained uh, um, unidentified, five who had been buried beneath Gacy's crawl space with additional youth buried approximately 15 feet from his barbecue pit in his backyard. Um, so those are his victims. And, um, I also wanted to talk about a little thing really, really quick to end off this horrendous episode of John Wayne Gacy. Okay. So hearing from one of my podcasts, um, yeah, conspiracy therapy podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Um, on Spotify, go listen to them. Um, when they did their episode of John Wayne Gacy, they, um, went into, I guess this is where the conspiracy comes in, that, um, John Wayne Gacy did not act alone, that he had an accomplice, which is very interesting. Um, this is kind of last minute information that I did research on, which is very unprofessional, unprofessional for me to do, but I just now remembered this. Um, so I, on newsfeed.com or dot time.com um they stated that there is significant evidence out there that suggests not only did john wayne gacy not operate alone he may have not been involved in some of the murders and the fact that he was largely a copycat murder um they go into it saying so far lawyers believe gacy may have had accomplices in at least three of the notorious killings of 33 young men and boys um this support supports an earlier claim from Jeffrey Ringnall, a victim who survived, who said another man was in the room while Gacy raped him. Um, one of the murders raising questions is that Robert Gilroy, um, apparently the convicted murderer, had been in Pittsburgh when the 18-year-old disappeared on September 15, 1977. Um, Allegheny Airlines tickets indicate Gacy had been out of town on September 12th to 16th, making it unlikely he could have snatched and killed Gilroy. The Sun-Times uh, the Sun-Times reported. This also echoes claims Gacy had made while in prison, saying that he was not in Illinois during 16 of the d- disappearances. Um, not only was Gacy allegedly out of town, but also Gilroy was murdered in a different way than the other victims. Gacy was infamous for handcuffing, handcuff, cuffing the young men, wrapping a rope around their necks and turning a wooden stick to tighten it. Um, the victims would essentially strangle themselves, you know, what I just went over. Um, in the autopsy report, though, however, um, it was found that Gilroy did not die from asphyxiation, but had been suffocated, not strangled. The autopsy also reported finding a cloth-like material in his throat. Um, complications also arose when the case of Russell Nelson, the Minneapolis architecture student, kidnapped while with a friend outside a bar in October of the same year. S- Stevenson did not uh, did tell the Sun-Times he doesn't believe Gacy could have seized the 21-year-old without... The friend noticing, and like Gilroy Nelson had been suffocated with a similar cloth stuffed down his throat. Thirteen victims died the same way. So, um, it's really, really, really crazy to think that Gacy could have had a, um, accomplice. And, it, you know, it, may, it really makes you think 
that John Wayne Gacy did not act alone. Which, I mean, I could believe that because if it was reported that he was out of town while some of these men and teens were getting kidnapped. And then also, like, each serial killer has their own M.O. Um, so if they were found suffocated with a cloth and John Wayne Gacy was handcuffing these victims and then string not strangling them, but kind of hanging them from a rope while tightening it, it really does make you think, did John Wayne Gacy actually, um, have an accomplice in this? So I guess this is where the conspiracy comes in because each, each murder can have conspiracies and, you know, it really does make you think about it, like I said. So, um, you know, if you want to, I will, when I tweet this out, you can give me, um, your opinion on it because I would really like to know what other people have to think about John Wayne Gacy. Did he have an accomplice in his murders or, you know, at the time, was he a copycat killer? Um, you know, there's so many questions that, you know, are left unanswered, but I guess that's kind of the part of true crime. Not everything is solved. So, um, to end this episode, I would just like to thank everyone for listening. Um, this is not our usual kind of episodes. Um, once in a while, um, I can put out, um, episodes on serial killers or whatever. If this is something everyone is truly interested in, Bailey and I will not stop doing conspiracies and believe it or not, history events though, because that is what our podcast is mainly around. But once in a while, if Bailey and I are on a hiatus or whatever, um, I can definitely put out more episodes like this. Um, this is really fun to do. I don't like doing it by myself though, unfortunately, because I don't have someone to banter back and forth with, but it is what it is. Um, so thank you for listening. I really appreciate your time in this episode. It's kind of a longer episode from what we usually do. I really have to kind of edit this because I've messed up so many times because it's really hard to have a flow by yourself and not have a flow between different, two different people. Um, so, you know, I guess this is where I'm going to do some plugs. If you want more of us, follow us on Instagram. Again, the KB or the underscore KB underscore Chronicles. Give us a follow, comment on some of our pictures. And if you have a Twitter, you can also follow us at the KB Chronicles. Give us a follow, retweet some of our tweets, comment what you think. Um, I did put a poll out there um, earlier about a solo pod episode and what serial killer I did. I decided to do John Wayne Gacy. Um, if there's another one you want to do, uh, want to learn about, uh, vote on that poll. I have Ted Bunny, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Ed Kemper. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Again, you're listening, or you listen to, the KB Chronicles, the series of outlandish events. Thank mm-hmm. you.